It's too bad that some of the young people that were killed didn't have guns attached to their hips, you know, where bullets could have flown in the opposite direction. Oh, yeah. That would have been a great idea, Mr. Trump. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in sweltering Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, Radio Monterey, and Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week on Radio Sputnik. You can run, but you can't hide from the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, though don't take my word for it because I'm kind of loopy from the heap. Yes, the uh, the first day of summer is coming in like a lion with uh, temperatures out here in Southern California and in Arizona reaching 120 degrees in some places. Desi Doyen? 120 degrees in some places. Yes, multiple records broken. I Multiple is, even, is an understatement. Yes, and broken is an under, shattered uh, over the weekend in Phoenix and in parts of uh, Los Angeles out here. I know it's been I know it's been very hot elsewhere around the country of late following May 2016, the hottest May ever recorded on planet Earth, which followed uh, April is the hottest, and uh, March, March is the and, hottest. And January, February, February and so yeah, on and so forth, going back for thirteen months. Yes, it, yeah. You know what? If only someone had warned everyone about this uh, this sort of thing uh, coming. Uh, well, and actually, of course, we have, and you have, Desi Doyen, with eight yeah. years of the Green News Report, trying to let people know what was going on, what was coming, so that we could do something about it. We could at least try to do something about it. A number of people have already died uh, over the weekend, uh, thanks to this uh, thanks to this heat wave out here in the uh, in the Southwest. Uh, but at least those people weren't killed by ISIS, because then we'd actually have to do something about it in this country, or at least pretend that we were going to do something about it. Uh, or, or you know, if you're the U.S. Senate, if you're Republicans, then you can just simply not do anything about any of it. Period, because that's what they do. Now, the U.S. Senate is set to vote on Monday on a number of amendments related to keeping people who are on the terrorist watch list and the no-fly list from being able to easily and legally purchase weapons of mass destruction at gun shows. 
and in stores and online. Uh, so there's actually going to be a vote, and uh, that is all thanks to Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy. And last week, his 15-hour-long filibuster, which successfully ended with a promise from the GOP uh, leadership in the Senate to, to even hold these votes at all, these votes on really the lowest possible hanging fruit legislation closing the background check loopholes at gun shows and for online purchases and restrictions on the purchases of weapons by suspected terrorists and terrorist sympathizers. The fact that we have to have a debate about whether we should disallow suspected terrorists and and people who have you know vowed their sympathy uh, to extremist organizations from being able to buy guns is rather remarkable. I suspect people. We have a lot of listenership around the world. I suspect people are hearing this and thinking that that's crazy. You mean people who have been suspected uh, of of being terrorists? People who have been interviewed multiple times by the FBI for showing sympathy to. Uh, the Islamic State and to Al Qaeda that those people are allowed to walk into a gun store and in a matter of minutes buy any weapon they like. Yeah, that's how it works here in these United States of America. And that's how it worked, actually, for uh, for the shooter behind the Orlando massacre, who had been interviewed uh, some three times concerning his expressed statements of support for ISIS. Now, uh, early betting has these measures in the U.S. Senate that are being put forward by both Democrats and Republicans alike, uh, that they are both, uh, all of these measures, frankly, uh, the betting is that they are set to fail in the U.S. Senate, even in the wake of those uh, the Orlando shootings. Uh, thanks in no small part, I would say thanks entirely, frankly, uh, to the stranglehold that the terrorist-enabling NRA, the National Rifle Association, has on the entirety right now of the Republican Party. So it's unlikely, uh, at least according to the pundits who are always wrong, so we'll see, but it's unlikely that uh, these measures will pass in the U.S. Senate. Either way, even if any of these measures were to pass by some quirk of reason and some quirk of compromise in the U.S. Senate, the U.S. House of Representative in, Representatives in the meantime, in which Republicans have even more control, which means the NRA has even more control in that U.S. House, uh, they have no gun safety measures at all, even on the docket. And they're unlikely to, unless the members of Congress on the Republican side suddenly feel that their majority could be threatened, could uh, that they could start losing elections for failing to take action yet again. Despite the massive majorities of voters, a majority of bo voters, both on the Democratic and Republican side, who strongly support these low-hanging fruit, common-sense measures that are in the U.S. Senate right now, coming up for a vote. In the meantime, uh, you remember uh, Bernie Sanders last week as he uh, gave an online uh, address to his supporters. He he talked about a lot of things. He did not concede the race uh, to Hillary Clinton, at least not yet. He says uh, he wants to unify at least to take on Donald Trump, but that he's going to stay and try to uh, affect change within the Democratic Party. Well, one of the ways that he pointed out to affect change in the Democratic Party, and frankly, not just in the Democratic Party, but in government across the board from top to bottom, whether it's the Congress on down to the state level, down to the local level. 
to to change uh, the policies in this country, the way that we, you know, move forward or don't in this country. When we're looking at what's going on in the U.S. Congress uh, with guns, you got to scratch your head and you could you have to say, why are these people? Why do these Republicans who won't even do these most common sense measures, why is it that they remain in power? Why the hell aren't they voted out? Well, in many cases, it's because the Democratic Party hasn't even put up people to run against them in Congress and in uh, state races and in local races and so forth. Uh, Bernie Sanders spoke about that to his supporters uh, in in that address he gave last week. And uh, Des, I want to play just a, a part of that. Here is a cold, hard fact that must be addressed. Since 2009, some 900 legislative seats have been lost to Republicans in state after state throughout this country. In fact, the Republican Party now controls 31 state legislatures and controls both the governor's mansions and state houses in 23 states. That is unacceptable. We need to start engaging at the local and state level in an unprecedented way. Hundreds of thousands of volunteers helped us make political history during this last year. These are people deeply concerned about the future of our country and about their own communities. Now we need many of them to start running for school boards, city councils, county commissions, state legislatures, and governorships. State and local governments make enormously important decisions, and we cannot allow right-wing Republicans to increasingly control them. That was Bernie Sanders speaking with uh, supporters last week about the uh, necessity of engaging at the local and state level in an unprecedented way to uh, to run for office, to not just vote as too many uh, progressives do not do, particularly in off-year elections, but actually to run for office. Now, you had uh, Howard Dean uh, years ago had his 50-state strategy. He was trying to get uh, people to run for office in, uh, in, in Congress in all 50 states instead of Democrats rolling over and saying, oh, it's not worth it for us to compete in Utah or in Kansas or in the Deep South. We have to. We can't compete there, so we're going to give up in advance. Well, exactly. Is essentially what they were saying. Which is what what they were doing, uh, Howard Dean was trying to change that, and then Barack Obama came in, got rid of Howard Dean, and that 50-state strategy went away. But it was very successful at the time that it was tried. Well, it was successful for that short period of time, but a lot of that also had to do with the disaster that was the George W. Bush presidency, in my opinion. Although, yes, you're absolutely right, Des. It did bring in, uh, it brought uh, majorities back to the, both the House and the Senate for the Democrats. It brought them the White House. But the idea that uh, what Bernie Sanders was talking about is, is you know, changing his, uh, his campaign into a movement, into a movement from the bottom up. And uh, that's what he was calling for in his address last week. I've always thought that was a great idea. You can look at the Tea Party and how they have, uh, frankly, taken over the entirety of government from local level on up to the uh, at least to the U.S. Congress. They control the Republicans control 31 state legislatures now, as he said. Yeah, 31 state legislatures and uh, both the governor's mansion and the legislature in 23 states. This all happened. 
while Barack Obama was in there with his supposedly progressive policies and the hope and the change and all of that. In the meantime, while that was going on, Republicans were taking over left and right. Well, some good news. Less than 24 hours after Sanders called on his supporters to run for office at the local and state level, Nearly 6,700 people signed up at berniesanders.com slash win to learn more. That came from a press release from the Sanders campaign. They say in total, almost 11,000 supporters expressed interest in running for office or volunteering for other Sanders supporters who do run for office. 11,000 people. And that was within 24 hours. Sanders uh, has called that response extraordinary. I'm sure it's been much higher uh, since the weekend. I haven't gone back there to check. Uh, but it, it, he says, I have no doubt that with the energy and enthusiasm of our, our campaign has shown that we can win significant numbers of state and local elections if people are prepared to become involved and that this will be part of transforming our country from the bottom up. So, uh, you know, this is uh, could be potentially huge. Sixty seven hundred supporters expressing interest in running. They say that covers 51 uh, percent of state house districts, 69 percent of state Senate districts and every congressional district in the country. And that was just hours after uh, Sanders has given his speech. So I'm putting this in as a marker as we move forward to see how, uh, you know, and if things uh, change here when it comes to running for office, when it comes to progressives running for office, uh, we may begin to see a sea change based on the Bernie Sanders campaign. We'll find out. Speaking of the Bernie Sanders campaign and his supporters, I received uh, I received this email over the weekend Um from uh, from Susan S. She writes to me, uh, you can do the same. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. She says, Brad, I'm saddened to hear you join mainstream media's somewhat misleading rush to call Hillary the winner when, in fact, right now she does not have enough delegates to automatically win the nomination and there is becoming a push, like in Maine, for delegates to be only proportioned by voters and even some superdelegates in California, I understand, flipped for Bernie. Now, uh, she's got more here. I'll get to it in a second. But I just want to say uh, I have never called Hillary Clinton the winner. I've called her the presumptive winner. And I did so only after all the voters had finished voting. Yes, they are still counting votes. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. Uh, but she does appear to be the presumptive nominee. Uh, and, you know, I, listen, I get you. If you think I'm joining the mainstream media that I was so critical of, for example, Associated Press, for declaring her the presumptive winner before uh, tens of millions of voters had even gone to the polls out here in California, not to mention Montana and New Jersey and New Mexico and South Dakota and North Dakota and Washington, D.C., uh, if that's what you heard from me. You heard it wrong, or maybe I said it wrong, but I don't remember uh, saying it that way. She goes on to say, Susan, uh, 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 Susan S. goes on to say, plus over a million California vote, uh, California's vote ballots still need to be counted, and in the ones that, ha uh, that have been counted since the night of the primary, three counties have flipped for Bernie, and that includes nine superdelegates switched, switched to Bernie. Now, um... Yes, three counties have flipped since election night to Bernie Sanders now that they're counting all the provisional ballots and the late vote by mail vote by mail ballots that came in. 
uh, her, her uh, comment about nine superdelegates switching to Bernie, I don't think so. Uh, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, maybe she means pledged delegates that would have otherwise gone to uh, Hillary Clinton have now uh, moved back over to Bernie Sanders since those uh, those particular counties have flipped as they continue to count the votes. And, and there are more than a million votes in California that are still being processed and will be continued to uh, be processed over the next several weeks. Uh, the, the state has until January uh, 8th. I'm sorry, uh, July <laughs> He's getting to all of us until uh, July 8th uh, to certify the election. So that is continuing. There's no question about it. I don't know that any superdelegates have switched their support from Hillary Clinton to Bernie Sanders uh, that I know of. But that comes uh, from Susan S. Uh, to me at Bradcast at bradblog.com. And she also included a, a note that she sent to Bernie Sanders campaign manager Jeff Weaver uh, she's angry that Bernie even met with Hillary uh, Hillary Clinton, and uh, she says that uh, she saw that she lives in California, and she saw so many people who are upset with what happened here on Election Day. She says we absolutely need a major investigation of these primaries. She wrote wrote to uh, Jeff Weaver, "What does it say if we won't stand up to challenge uh, what happened in these primaries?" She disagrees with meeting with Hillary. She uh, describes her blatant lying. Yeah, she is kind of a liar. And her voter suppression. Now, voter suppression? Really? Okay. Um, I haven't seen any of that voter suppression, at least not by Hillary Clinton, at least not by the DNC, uh, at least any actual evidence of voter suppression. Now, I know that, that Susan and a lot of uh, Bernie Sanders supporters are not happy with the way that things worked out. And it's true, uh, there was disasters all over the country when it came to voting this year. And yes, California still could flip. It still could flip entirely over to Bernie Sanders with those uh, subsequent million votes that are still out there. But for now, short of flipping it, and by the way, flipping it in a very big way, a big, big way, like more than 80% for Bernie Sanders, short of that... Hillary Clinton is still the presumptive nominee. We presume that she will uh, be nominated. Things could change. Obviously, things could change in California. She could be, as Bernie Sanders liked to say, uh, indicted, which I should add is unbelievably unlikely from my reading of, uh, of where that case is. Um, but yeah, all of that could happen. Um, Donald Trump who is the presumptive GOP nominee. He could also be uh, somehow unseated from this. Things could change. There's talk about that happening on the Republican side. Um, but he is, in the meantime, the presumptive nominee. Now, for those who are charging fraud out here in great big uh, capital letters in California, here's some good news for you. If you think that things went wrong here in, in California, that somebody, somebody, Hillary Clinton, the DNC, somebody else stole the election in California, <clears throat> and, and, and the, the results that we're seeing are not accurate, that somehow somebody is actually flipping votes, flipping votes, not counting them correctly, chain, flipping them on the tabulators, here's the good news. You can find out. If you're a California voter, any California voter 
can actually ask to recount any uh, any jurisdiction, any county, any precinct that they like. You can file for a hand count here in California, a public transparent hair, hand count. You can raise the money for it to count to hand count every ballot in the state if you want. So for those people who are out there screaming, yelling and screaming about fraud and that the election was stolen and it was stolen out here in California. Well, the, uh, the good news is California law allows you to find out if you want to. Um, it's going to cost you some money. Because you will have to pay for that count if uh, if the results don't end up uh, the, the results of the hand count don't end up flipping the existing results. But yes, that can be done. So you know what, uh, Bernie Sanders supporters and journalists alike, by the way, and a lot of journalists out there who I like, who I respect, who I've uh, interviewed on the show, who I've covered for years, who are now out there uh, yelling and screaming about fraud that Hillary Clinton has stolen the election, that California is a, a we should wrap a yellow tape around the state of California as a crime scene. Um, I haven't seen that uh, that evidence of uh, California as a crime scene, but the good news is we can find out. You can count any state, any county you like, any jurisdiction you like. You get to name it out here in California. So you can file for that count. Now, I agree with the concerns about the results that we've seen not only here in California and elsewhere, but I, uh, you know, the, the people that I have seen shouting fraud, I've been covering this stuff for more than a decade. And and I can tell you, and this is exactly what I've been warning about. I've been warning about people, uh, you know, elections, an election system that is not transparent, that people cannot oversee, that are counted by computers and not just the touchscreen voting systems, but even the paper ballot systems. When they're run through a computer, they're counted, they're uh, counted either accurately or not. Nobody knows unless we bother to count those paper ballots, which we don't out here in California, at least not ab above and beyond this one percent post-election uh, uh, spot check that uh, we have to do uh, by law out here in California. But those post-election spot checks are of a tiny number of ballots. They can easily be gamed. So, yes, I understand. I agree with the concerns. I've been warning about these concerns. I've been warning how, you know, even if an election, even if every single ballot in California is counted accurately... The fact that the voters don't know that it was counted accurately because they make it so difficult for people to know if it was counted accurately, that that in and of itself is a grave threat to our democracy. So I agree with the concerns, but I disagree with the conclusions that are being just tossed around so cavalierly out there in explanation of numbers uh, that, that some voters don't agree with. I understand the concern in and of itself, but the concerns are not actual proof that the election was stolen by fraud or stolen at all. The exit poll disparity with results that we have seen in so many states that uh, so many Sanders supporters are citing, even if true, even if uh, the exit polls showed one thing, 
which, by the way, there are no unadjusted exit polls out there. There are no unadjusted exit polls out there. The raw data, the raw unadjusted data is not made available by the exit poll companies uh, that are uh, paid for by these uh, mainstream corporate media. So the, anyone who says, oh, the uh, unadjusted exit poll data doesn't match with the uh, final results, uh, they're kind of lying to you because they haven't seen the unadjusted data. They haven't seen the raw data. I would love that data to be uh, released to the public, but it has not been. In any event, those people who are telling you there's a disparity with the results, uh, that that is a sign that the election was stolen, well, maybe. It could also simply be error because we have terrible voting systems that are wrong all the time because we don't bother to, to count and find out if they're right. And by the way, even if it was theft as opposed to error, error either by the uh, pollsters or by the voting machines, even if it was theft as opposed to error, there's no evidence at all to support the assertion that either Hillary Clinton or the DNC did it as these people are charging. There's no evidence that anybody did it at this time, to be frank. And even if you think something was done to steal the election, you have no evidence of who did it. So, uh, you know, on this program, uh, before everybody starts running around and saying, oh, he's a Hillary, uh, he's a Hillbot. Uh, we have looked at each of the concerns as they have happened, state after state after state in this uh, in this country during the presidential primary cycle, going back for months. We looked at the Wisconsin and the North Carolina and the and the Florida, the, the huge lines to vote uh, thanks to photo ID and electronic poll books that failed in those states. We looked at the New York purge of 126,000 voters in Brooklyn alone who were purged from the rolls. Were they Bernie voters? No evidence of that whatsoever. Hillary Clinton actually won in Brooklyn. So uh, they, you know, when they purged 126 voters, 126,000 voters in, in Brooklyn, it may have hurt Hillary Clinton more than it hurt Bernie Sanders. Is that evidence that Hillary Clinton stole the election? Or that the DNC stole the election? The hours-long lines in, in Phoenix, in Maricopa County, during the Arizona primary, that happened after a Republican registrar there shut down hundreds of polling places, leading to huge lines, leading to, and a lot of the polling places were no longer in the uh, Hispanic areas of town, and Hispanic voters have tended to support Hillary Clinton. So had those voters been able to vote, had it been easier for them to vote, there's no reason to believe that, again, Hillary Clinton might not have done even better than she did do. Uh, and the outrageous behavior of the DNC uh, throughout the entire process, including after the Nevada State Democratic Convention, where they accused Bernie Sanders uh, supporters, where they lied about Bernie Sanders supporters, saying they were throwing chairs and that they were violent. Uh, I have condemned all of that. I continue to condemn it and I continue to look at it and to look at the myriad reports uh, of, of problems faced by voters out here in California. And there were a lot and it was shameful. In truth, uh, so far, while I have seen a lot of these nightmares for, for voters, in truth, they haven't yet been any worse than what I've seen in previous election years. Now, that's not a compliment because we have a disastrous election system in this country. 
But what we've seen this year, to those of us who look at this stuff closely, is really, in truth, no worse and arguably even better than I have seen in recent elections. Now, I've also said that it takes a lot of time to figure out what actually happened uh, in any particular elections and that problems, uh, the full extent of the problems, don't come out until many days, weeks, months, and even years afterwards. So I continue to try to figure out what the hell went on in this election, what the hell went on out here in California with reports of people finding themselves not able, uh, no longer registered to vote, or at least not registered with the party they thought they were registered with, or being told that they had signed up for uh, vote-by-mail ballots when they believed that they did not. We're going to, this is going to take a while. And we're going to have to see what actually happened here and figure this out. But so many of the people, people, again, uh, (laughs) It's one thing for just, you know, rank and file supporters of a candidate to to yell and scream that the election was stolen from them when uh, uh, the results don't come out the way they like or when they see all kinds of irregularities. But it's another thing when we see people who are theoretically professional at this folks in the media, again, folks who I like out there misinforming, misleading voters saying that the election was a crime scene, that, uh, you know, that Hillary Clinton stole it, that the DNC stole it. Maybe she did. Maybe they did. But right now, we don't know that. We have no evidence to support that. That's a damn serious charge. And if you're going to charge that someone has stolen an election, you damn well better have the evidence to back it up. Seen things over the weekend, uh, this, this Stanford paper. It's not a paper. It's a student at Stanford who, who put together a, a, a report on looking at some of these exit poll numbers. One of the things that they found uh, was that Sanders, Bernie Sanders, did better where there was a paper trail for the votes and that Hillary Clinton uh, won uh, where there was no paper trail. Well, that is actually true. That's largely true. Why? Why might that have been the case? Well, larger, more urban jurisdictions tend to use 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that have no paper trail. Larger, more urban uh, jurisdictions tend to have more minority voters like African-Americans and Hispanics who tended to favor Hillary in big numbers this uh, this primary cycle for good or bad, for right or wrong. So it doesn't make any. So I'm sorry. So it does make sense that she would win in areas without a paper trail because that's where uh, the places without a paper trail have more of the voters who tended to support Hillary Clinton. In and of itself, that evidence doesn't uh, tell us anything about whether an election was stolen or not, as the argument goes. It just means that uh, the evidence is, uh, frankly, pretty thin, pretty thin gruel at this point. And again, even if it was stolen in those areas, there's zero evidence, zero to my knowledge, that it was stolen by Hillary Clinton, that she was the one doing the stealing, as all of these reports seem to charge. Uh, So, you know, the fact is we can't know if the results are accurate. And that is a huge problem, a huge problem. And I'm delighted that people are finally noticing that part of the problem. That has been my point here for more than a decade at bradblog.com and here on the Bradcast. Yes, results can be flipped. They can be flipped in 30 seconds time on computer tabulators, both in places that have those so-called paper trails and those that don't, because we don't actually bother to count actual ballots in this country. 
And yes, I have spoken with exit pollsters uh, all throughout this cycle and in cycles before the exit pollsters. They always think that they, not the results that are reported, were wrong. You know, I think that's kind of weird that the exit pollsters are always finding reasons why they got it wrong and they never question the actual results. Are the results right? And if you talk to them, they just see the results as the gold standard, period. It is impossible for there to be election fraud. There is impossible for there to be election error, which is just ridiculous. You can go to bradblocks.com and you can read all kinds of stories that, uh, you know, impossible results in Monroe County, Arkansas from a couple of years ago, uh, where, where numbers went backwards and state officials still can't explain it. I can point you to what happened in Palm Beach County, Florida, back in, uh, I believe it was 2012, when the optical scan paper ballot computers completely mistallied. Uh, a number of races announcing a number of losing candidates to be the winners. And had that not been caught by a, a, a very good election official down there, those people who did not win the election likely would have been sworn into office. So, yes, you're right to be suspicious about all of this. And this is a difficult needle for me to thread in speaking to this at all, because I don't want to dissuade anybody from being skeptical about election results. You should be skeptical You should continue investigating. You should keep trying to oversee your own elections so that you can know that they have been tallied as per the voters' intent. And right now, in 50 states, that's damn near impossible to do. So I'm delighted that folks are finally beginning to see the problem that I've been warning about for years. This is it. This is the problem. The loss of confidence in our system of representative democracy. And that's true even if there is no fraud because we can't oversee it. We can't know. Even if the results are accurate, we need to be able to know that there are. And with the systems that we used, we can't do it. That's it. Period. We can't. There are ways to find out, to try at least and find out, which is why I note California and the excellent law allowing any elector to ask for a hand count even if the law is terrible, it allows county registrars to set arbitration, arbitrary and, and capricious uh, rates for that counting. We've talked about that on the show before. We have to fix that law. But at least there's a route. At least there's a way in. At least there's a way to find out how the people actually voted in the state of California, at least, even if not all of the other countries, uh, county uh, states around the country. But to those, especially the election integrity folks out there, many of whom I respect, I have worked with for years to go out and shout fraud without evidence to support that uh, claim of fraud. I believe it's terribly irresponsible and I believe it makes it really goddamn hard for those of us who are really trying to investigate this stuff and believe that uh, serious allegations should only be made with serious evidence to support it. And that when stuff hits the fan this November, there's going to be a lot of folks out there who were yelling and screaming about fraud before who are going to be completely dismissed by the media and by election officials and everybody else. And again, I guess I need to underscore no love for Hillary Clinton here. I've long said it. I think Bernie would be is certainly much better on policy. I think he'd be a much better candidate to run against Donald Trump. I'd far prefer to see that. But election integrity has nothing to do with who you or I or anybody else likes as a candidate. 
That's why I've gone to bat for candidates, at least for the supporters of the of candidates who I abhor, who I abhor. But even those voters uh, deserve to have their uh, results counted, counted accurately in a way that they can know that it has been counted accurately. So I take hell from everybody when I fight for voters, for voters and democracy. Took all kinds of hell uh, from the from the Hillary camp in 2008 when my reporting resulted in uh, Dennis Kucinich filing for at least a partial hand count in the uh, 2008 New Hampshire primary. So no love for Hillary Clinton, but I do have love for democracy. And I do hope that people educate themselves about this system rather than uh, uh, yell and scream about uh, fraud and stolen elections for which they have no evidence in support right now. I want to keep the investigation going, but we need to do it responsibly. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from The Green News Report and The Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Thank you for allowing me to get that off my chest. <laughs> you had a lot to say there. You think? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, well, it's kind of important, especially leading up to the November election when this is going to be all these same problems yep. times a bazillion. Yep. And and I'm sure I'll have more to say about it uh, in the days, weeks, and months ahead. But I just I had to get that off my chest. Thank you for allowing me to do so. If you'd like to yell at me for doing so or have any uh, disagreements or agreements, whatever you like, uh, I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Feel free to let me know. You can also tweet me uh, and find me on the Facebook at the Brad Blog. Okay, uh, moving on to uh, some other issues. Maybe moving back to some issues here. The Supreme Court on Monday has rejected uh, a couple of cases that were challenging assault weapons bans in Connecticut and in New York in the aftermath of the uh, shooting in Orlando, Florida, that left 50 people dead, according to the AP. The uh, Supreme Court justices on Monday left in place a lower court ruling that had upheld laws that were passed in response to the uh, to the Newtown, Connecticut shooting at uh, the Sandy Hook Elementary School involving a semi-automatic weapon. And uh, the uh, the states, Connecticut and New York, voted uh, to put certain restrictions, certain bans on those semi-automatic assault weapons. The U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, has said uh, that those bans can stand, even though lower court rulings, well, the lower court rulings had upheld those uh, those bans. The uh, evenly split U.S. Supreme Court at this point, the four to four court, now that uh, Antonin Scalia is dead, said, yeah, we're not going to hear those cases. So that means the lower uh, and had they heard them and they tied, then the lower court uh, rulings would have stood in any case. That means that, yes, states, at least as of now, can decide what types of weapons that uh, residents can or cannot buy. 
in case you had any question about that, in case you thought that this was a uh, the Second Amendment uh, didn't allow any restrictions on any weapons whatsoever, that is not true. Now, the Supreme Court has repeatedly turned away challenges to other gun restrictions um, since those uh, landmark, uh, since a couple of landmark decisions uh, from the Supreme Court spelled out the right to a handgun to defend one's own home. That was the Heller decision. And by the way, I'd point you over to bradblog.com. Our legal analyst, Ernest A. Canning, uh, uh, wrote some, well, let's call it encouraging uh, uh, words about what could happen in the future with the U.S. Supreme Court now that people are starting to, now that people are starting to re- understand the uh, National Rifle Association's scam misinf- misinforming the public that, uh, you know, the, the Second Amendment is inviolate. You cannot possibly put any restrictions on any weapons whatsoever. That's complete and utter nonsense. And, um, well, more cases, I suspect, will get to the U.S. Supreme Court. But for now, those bans against assault weapons in at least New York and Connecticut uh, will stand as they will in other states who are looking at this and say, okay, yeah, I guess uh, we can go ahead and ban these uh, military-grade weapons uh, or at least make them more difficult for uh, for people to buy. Uh, in the meantime, uh, last... Oh, brother, was this last week? It feels like months ago. Donald Trump, uh, following the Orlando shooting... Uh, it came come out and say, well, the real problem was we, we don't have we don't have enough guns we, that it's too bad that all of those kids at that club didn't have their own guns. Then they could have fired back and and everything uh, would have been fine. Now he is walking that back. Now he is saying uh, he tweeted today, <clears throat> quote, when I said that if within the Orlando club you had some people with guns, I was obviously talking about additional guards or employees. That's what he tweeted. That is actually not what he said. Here is what he said right after the shooting uh, on the on the Howie Car show on this very point. I mean, it's too bad that some of the. Uh, young people that were killed over the weekend weren't didn't have guns, you know, uh, attached to their hip. Yeah, uh, frankly, and you know where bullets could have flown in the opposite direction, Howie, it would have been a much different deal. Yeah, I mean, there, it sounded like there were no guns. They had a security guard. Other than that, uh, there were no guns in the room. Had people been able to fire back, it would have been a much different outcome. Uh huh. So uh, young people, uh, too bad they didn't have guns uh, strapped to their hips. It would have been a much different outcome. Yeah, the different outcome is more people probably would have been shot and killed. So when Donald Trump comes back and says, well, when I said that uh, if within the Orlando club you had people with guns, I was obviously talking about additional guards or employees. No, he was not. Except for that part where he explicitly said those yes. people, those young people young who people, were killed, if right. they, right. that's, uh, you know, pronouns mean things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he had repeated that same suggestion, by the way, at a number of rallies across the country last week uh, in Atlanta, for example, he said that the carnage would have been lessened if some quote again the direct quote some of those great people that were in that club that night had guns strapped to their waist or strapped to their ankles so uh you know he's a pathological liar is what he is nothing new there i guess uh but i guess it needs to be repeated because the guy is yes the presumptive nominee for the republican party for president of the united states even the nra now uh, seems to be disagreeing, sort of, kind of, 
they're somewhat inscrutable themselves, but sort of kind of disagreeing with Donald Trump, who they endorsed uh, just a couple of weeks ago, just before the Orlando massacre. Chris Cox, the NRA's chief lobbyist, was on ABC This Week um, and saying that uh, what Donald Trump said defies common sense, though he wasn't completely clear about that, uh, as he did seem to suggest that he would like to see more people with guns in such situations. But do you want works? people late at night at a nightclub drinking? Of course you know, not. Of course not. And you can't be in a nightclub drinking anywhere in this country. What Donald Trump has said is what the American people know is common sense, that if somebody had been there to, to stop this faster, fewer people would have died. That's not... That's not controversial. That's common sense. But you don't like the idea of people going into nightclubs armed to the teeth. Of course, no one okay. thinks that people should go into nightclub drinking and carrying firearms. That's that defies common sense. It also defies Trump the does. law. It's not what yeah. we're talking about here. Yeah, that is what we're talking about here. That's exactly what Donald Trump was talking about here. Now, Trump met supposedly with the NRA uh, a few days ago because Trump thinks that we should not allow people to buy guns if they appear on the no fly list or on the uh, the terror watch list. Um, but uh, so maybe they got their story together. Maybe they said, OK, well, what we're talking about, yeah, we should have more guns in there, but not guns by club go goers. We just need more guards. We need more people, more guns to stop all the people with guns. God forbid we should stop the people from getting those guns. We need more. I mean, it's like, uh, yes, people are getting poisoned out there. And the problem is not the poison. The problem is not enough people have the antidote. I, I, that's what they seem to be uh, suggesting there. And then when they talk about, uh, you know, federal laws, all of these federal law, we can't, uh, you know, the, the, the feds are coming in and, and stopping this and that. And they want to take away your guns. Well, I'll tell you what. Good thing the federal uh, government is on this, because did you see what the does? I don't know if you saw this. The Florida assistant state attorney general, what this Florida state assistant attorney general, uh, he was suspended on Friday in Florida, mind you. The, the guy who, uh, a prosecutor who would be, in theory, part of taking on the, uh, the you know, guys like the Orlando shooter and prosecuting what happened there. That Florida assistant state attorney general, he was suspended on Friday for calling uh, Orlando, calling the people in Orlando, uh, the city of Orlando, a melting pot of third world miscreants and ghetto thugs. Wow. This according to Orlando television station WESH. Uh, Kenneth Lewis is his name. He was suspended for violating the state attorney's office, state attorney's office social media policy, according to a spokesman there. Uh, he wrote on his Facebook page, downtown Orlando has no bottom. The entire city should be leveled. It is void of a single redeeming quality. It is a melting pot of third world miscreants and ghetto thugs. It is void of culture. If you live down there, you do it at your own risk and at your own peril. If you go down there after dark, there is seriously something wrong with you. That's the prosecutor in Florida after the shooting in Orlando. Just absolutely mind-blowing. 
So, uh, yeah, he's been suspended. That's good. But, uh, yeah, I kind of, when it comes to, you know, stuff like this, I, I prefer to not just uh, count on the, uh, you know, whatever it is that the state, the state and local officials want to do. If this is the idea of the state and local officials, I'm real damn glad there's a, a federal government overseeing it, at least trying to. It's uh, just uh, amazing, amazing to me. But, of course, with all the mixed messages out there, it's not a surprise. Uh, this comes from uh, oh, our friend John Amato posted this over at Crooks and Liars. Um, <laughs> the, the, well, the mixed messages out there. Uh, here was uh, you heard from uh, the National Rifle Association saying that uh, there needs to be more guns. But, of course, not the people who are going into the, the into the bar to drink. Uh, well, no wonder it's confusing. Here is uh, Larry Pratt of, what is he, Gun Owners of America, another uh, 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 gun lobbying group. Um, he was on, uh, on CNN with Carol Costello over the weekend, and, and here's, how, here's how this uh, conversation played out. Neither party is addressing the gorilla in the room, which is all of our mass murders save two since 1950 have been in gun-free zones just like the one in Orlando. They're not talking. Uh, the Republican leadership, now, wait a I minute. think, in Orlando, is to be just, just, just to, to, you know, a minor quibble here, but there was an armed guard inside that bar the night that terrorists opened fire. So that wasn't sure a was. gun-free zone. Sure there was. No, yes, it was because he was the only one. Uh, state law prohibited anybody else from having a gun, and so they were all unarmed. Once the dirtbag shot his way past the guard, it was open season on uh, helpless victims, and that's the problem with gun-free zones. They uh, are safety only in the minds of those politicians who think mm -hmm. it's a, a good idea, but they don't work and they have failed for decades. Well, it was a gun-free zone because it was a bar and when people drink, um, the state of Florida probably doesn't think it's a very good idea to arm patrons. Control but that's the why. amount of booze you sell them, but don't make in them sitting ducks. In a, in a bar. bar, yes. Oh, it might hurt that's why business. you go to a hey, bar. Do, do you think a mass murder hurts business? That's what gun-free zones do. So, well, we knew we need to have less liquor and more guns in bars. That will solve it. That's the solution. Larry Pratt, the uh, gun owners of America. I don't know if he's the president, he's the founder or whatever. And essentially CNN's Carol Costello there laughing in his face uh, over this suggestion. That's what we've come to. That's what we've come to. Uh, good news out here in California. We may have at least a bit of a solution. We may be able to turn at least one of the, uh, the corners a little bit in the gun debate. We'll take a quick break and come back with that afterwards. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Over the uh, break, we got word that the one of the bills uh, in the U.S. Senate 
to uh, try to make it harder for folks on the terrorist watch list to buy weapons uh, has now been held up. We'll, uh, as I predicted, it wouldn't pass at all. We'll see what, what, what that's about from AP. I'm sure we'll have more on that tomorrow. In the meantime, last week, we spoke with Dr. Mark Rosenberg, who headed up the uh, CDC's uh, injury prevention unit back in, back in the 90s. Uh, and we talked with uh, Rosenberg about that moment back in 1996 when Republicans effectively stopped all funding of research into gun violence and how that uh, how long ago was that 20 years ago right yeah 20, 20 years, years ago 1996 and it still stands right now the federal government does literally no scientific research into the causes for gun violence in, in into uh, you know how to stop it etc cetera, etc cetera. well now as of late last week california has taken up the uh at least a little bit of the of the gap. They have allocated five million dollars to establish the California Firearm Violence Research Center that will fund uh, and train a new crop of researchers and get one of the best violence data sets out there, according to Wired. Um, the uh, Garen Wintemute a physician and the director of the Violence Prevention Research Unit at UC Davis said that over the last 15 years, national rates of firearm violence have remained unchanged, but that in that same time period, firearm violence here in California has decreased by about 20 percent, and nobody knows why. Is it the gun laws that we have in place here in California? Is it our fantastic economy, which is doing great? We're now the sixth largest uh, economy in the world if California was its own country. Uh, understanding what has gone well or badly in California will apply to the rest of the United States, uh, they say, but it obviously won't be enough to solve America's gun problems. Federal funding drives the public health research agenda and five million dollars is barely a pellet of birdshot, as Wired describes it, compared to the ammunition that uh, feds deploy on other scientific problems. And yet uh, still. Uh, Wintemute and uh, Lois Wolk, the Democrat who represents Davis, California, and uh, uh, sponsored this legislation, they think that uh, this will, uh, uh, any clarity that we can bring to the conversation is a step in the right direction. She says, until the government comes to their senses, the federal government, the problem is so large and serious that everyone should have a shared policy conversation. Research will help us move in a direction that establishes common ground. Good science and access to information ought to be principles any side of the gun issue can agree on, uh, says, uh, says Wired. Well, yeah, you would think. You would think, but you know what? We've got a lot of good science on just to bring everything back to where we started this blazing hot show today, where we've got a lot of good science, climate, climate change, global warming. But even with that good science, somehow Republicans have figured out how to completely ignore it. So even if we do get science, even if we do get good science concerning guns, there is no promise uh, that it still won't be ignored unless you can remove the people who are ignoring it in the first place, which also brings us back to where we started concerning Bernie Sanders and concerning getting uh, and why elections matter and getting better candidates in there. And getting involved on the policies at the local, state, national level, all of that. But all of that. 
But as we swelter out here right now in Los Angeles, uh, and uh, the heat will be breaking soon, I'm sure, right? I hope. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, as we swelter, uh, Jimmy Kimmel a few weeks ago uh, had his own response that they put together uh, uh, for the, uh, what's the name of his show? The Jimmy Kimmel the Jimmy Show. Kimmel, okay. <laughs> the Jimmy Kimmel Show, uh, a response that they put uh, together back when uh, Donald Trump was out there busy calling climate change a hoax. And by the way, we know that he knows it's not a hoax because he signed on to a, an advertisement back in 2009 begging legislators to do something about climate change. So he's now just pretending it's a hoax. It's a hoax that he says it's a hoax. Nonetheless, what he said was, oh, it's a hoax because it's a money-making thing that all of these scientists are out there getting rich on climate change science somehow. Never mind the fossil fuel companies, the most profitable companies in the history of civilization. It's somehow these academics, these scientists who are making out uh, big time over climate change research. Here was uh, the uh, the response that Jimmy Kimmel put together uh, in response to uh, that nonsense. Hi, I'm Aradna Tripathi. I'm a paleoclimatologist and isotope geochemist. Hi, I'm Alex Hall and I'm a climate scientist. I'm Jeremy Pell, and I'm a hydroclimatologist. I'm Nina Karnofsky, and I'm a polar ecologist. I'm Chuck Taylor, and I'm an environmental analytical chemist. I'm John Dorsey, I'm a marine environmental scientist. Over the past 40 years, thousands of scientists have studied climate change. Definitely happening. And it's caused by human beings. That's you and me. And the consequences could be extremely dire. Catastrophic. Apocalyptic. And here's the thing, when we tell you all this, we're not with you. We're not with you. Definitely not with you. Why would we with you? Think about it. If I wanted to screw with people, do you think I would have gone into climate science? If we were with you, I'm sure we could do a lot better than anthropogenic climate change. I'd probably tell you that a meteor was coming and then try to sell you a helmet. We know about this stuff. We have PhDs. In science. This is not a prank. This is not a prank. Once when I was younger, I locked one of my buddies in a porta potty, then pushed it over. Now that's a prank. <laughs> so just to sum up, global warming, real. It's real. Man-made. Caused by carbon pollution. Temperatures soaring. Oceans rising. Ice melting. For real. We're not with you. We're not with you. We're not with you. Believe us, if not for our generation, then for his. You mother better not <laughs> this up. Paid for by people who know more than you do. Oh, go find that kid. I think we just found a new guest host for the broadcast. <laughs> uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It really does mean a great deal. Thank you. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it at bradblog.com. It is free as ever. It's also free over at iTunes, where we hope you'll uh, subscribe and have it downloaded automatically to your iPhone or your uh, your computer. Uh, and uh, while you're there, give us a good review. It helps other people find us as well. If you'd like to not give us a good review, uh, feel free to send me email. My email address, bradcast at bradblog.com. You can also find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the TheBradBlog. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.